Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome back to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. This week's episode is a talk I gave at PMAC's main train conference on September 18th titled, Why We Need to Talk About Risk. I wanted to give you guys an opportunity if you weren't able to make it out to Edmonton. I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to still hear it. So I hope you enjoy it. I want to thank PMAC for letting me share my thoughts and the audience for participating. I thought we had a great talk and it was a lot of fun for me. The other thing I want to just mention is and thank PMAC is for collaborating on the monthly meetups that we're having in Edmonton. If you want to be part of that, they happen monthly. If you want to be a part of it, you're in Edmonton, just shoot me an email, robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com, and I'll add you to my email list so you'll be notified for each one of the meetups. We've had a good turnout lately. There have been 20, 25 people at the last three or four, so hopefully you'll come out to those and meet with us. Before we get into the talk, I want to ask you if you're struggling to get buy-in from your management team. Are you struggling to get projects approved? Do they not understand what you're trying to do? I think for me, what I've seen is the reason for this is we speak different languages. And we'll get more into it during the talk, but I just wanted to plant that seed with you and If you're not able to get buy-in from your management team, it could be because you're not using the right language and risk is going to be part of that. So I hope you enjoy the talk. Last thing I want to mention, check out robsreliability.com. Sign up for the weekly reliability newsletter. And if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, email me at robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. And a message from Upkeep right now. Do you want a better reliability program? Do you want better data quality in your CMMS? Well, having frustrated and overworked shop floor people isn't the way to get that great reliability program. Often we make our mechanics, millwrights, and operators do paper rounds and then transcribe that information into a desktop CMMS. This causes more frustration and we'll likely lose data quality in that process. So why don't we try something different? Upkeep maintenance management is different. It's a mobile first CMMS that takes the work out of work orders with its easy to use mobile application. With a snap of a picture and just a few keystrokes on your mobile device, you can update work orders in a matter of seconds. Upkeep is a mobile first CMMS designed to be easy for your maintenance personnel. So easy, it was voted number one for ease of use by maintenance teams. Rob's Reliability Project has partnered with Upkeep to not only give you a great mobile-first CMMS, 
but also if you purchase an annual subscription, you get one month free and a bonus one hour free coaching call with me. Make your reliability program better and make your text lives easier by going to robsreliability.com upkeep and sign up today. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. So I'd like to introduce Rob Cowell Rossi. He is uh, well known as a senior reliability engineer, and I'm sure many of you are on Rob's Reliability Project podcast and uh, other emails. I won't take up all the time here by uh, giving you Rob's long description here. I'll let him <laughs> introduce himself and. Uh, Without further ado, over to Rob to talk about risk. Yeah, so I guess a little bit about me. So right now I'm on contract with Enbridge um, in their asset management group, but I've come from close to 10 years of reliability engineering experience. And actually I started, I came up with the idea of this, this talk probably about a year ago before I started my work at Enbridge and now I sit roughly 10 feet away from an entire people who dedicate their lives to calculating risk. And so it seems kind of redundant <laughs> to talk about it, but it's something that, that is really, I think is really important, at least in the reliability industry. So one of the, when I, I used to work at tech resources and for people who kind of know where that is in the world, it's, it's in the Elk Valley in BC. And I used to run the mountains for something to do. And I was coming back from my run and we were probably, you know, I had been out for at least an hour, maybe two hours. And I was walking down the street. I was literally, you know, two minutes from my house and a cougar walked right in front of me, probably about 10 feet away. And it was funny. It stopped in the middle of the road. It looked at me and I was looking at it and I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And then it just, it kind of went away. Right. And so the, the question I had uh, immediately as I got home, the question I had was, well, one is like, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to play dead? Am I supposed to make myself big and yell at it? Obviously turning and running is probably a bad career move, but you could try that too. And, but, but then again, I mean, the other thing is like, what's the actual probability that we're gonna get attacked by a cougar? Like what's the risk? Right, and if you actually look into the statistics, there's been four fatal cougar attacks in the United States since the year 2000. So that's pretty small. And if you look at it, you know, we go to bed every night and there's like 700 deaths a year from falling out of bed. So if you have a lofted bed, I recommend moving it closer to the ground. Um, but yeah, like a cougar attack, it's not really something that we need to be worried about. And that's the same thing we talk about in reliability and maintenance. You know, we talk about decibel levels. We talk about things breaking, but are they actually gonna happen? So we need to take that a step further. So what's the real risk? Having a lofted bed like I had in college, it's probably a bad move, but they're kind of cute, the cougars. Um, so that's that. Now, it was something that, that Cliff actually brought up in the previous talk 
was we have to all speak the same language. And in this room, hands up if you're in reliability. Mostly, most of the room, right? Now, is there, are there any upper management folks in the room? One? Okay, so, there's, so the reliability folks, we talk a language. Now, the upper management folks are, what's your name? Jason. Jason. So Jason talks a little bit of a different language than we do, right? We're using words like RCM, root cause analysis, you know, all those predictive maintenance technologies that you can walk outside and look at. We're talking about those types of things. But Jason, when you sit in your board meeting, do you ever talk about vibration levels on a pump? Never, right? They never talk about it. You guys are talking about things like that. Earnings before interest, depreciation, taxes, and amortization. Get used to words like that. That's where we're talking about essentially real profitability of your company. The next one, market, customer, return on investment, return on assets, return on equity, and risk. That's a big thing that they talk about. What's the market risk? What's the risk of our equipment? These types of conversations are something that they can have, but why are we talking a different language? So that's why I want you guys to come out of here today and I want you to think about where you can apply that conversation so then when you t speak to your managers like Jason, you can speak the same language. And then you can say to Jason, hey, this pump, we're at risk of about $50,000 this year. And then Jason goes, okay, that makes sense in my mind what that means. It also helps you do other things. Now, what is risk? So before we can talk about what risk is, we all kind of have an idea, but we should be on the same page with that as well. So ISO 31000 defines risk as an effect of uncertainty on objectives. So that can be either positive risk or negative risk, right? So when we do a project, when we build a new site, when we start a new business, when we do these types of things, we have uncertainty, but it could be positive uncertainty. Like we could make more money than we thought we did. Negative is typically how we, we use the connotation for risk, but it can also be positive. Now, why is risk so important? Now, so Cliff, Cliff got poor audience participation. So I actually brought some gifts to give away because I know that people will only participate for a reward. So I want, I want to know, I want you guys to discuss for probably about a minute or two with the people at your table, how does your company approve projects? What types of things are they looking at? How does that project get a yay or a nay? So start discussing. I guess you're not eligible to win, right? No, I'm not eligible to win, but I can help you. You can win. You just have to participate to win. I can participate, but I'm not winning prizes deliberately. <laughs> <laughs>
So is it similar, different? Uh, a little bit similar. similar. Like for us, it's looking at uh, you know, building a PSJ, what are the benefits, what are the risks if we don't do the project. Yeah. Getting approval based on that. Yeah. So where, where do you guys work? I work at Okay, yep. Yeah. Yep. The one like just west of here? Yeah. Risk is definitely a big topic in terms of how do we quantify it for everything we do, especially with like an old facility. Yeah. All our plants are built in the 70s, 80s. It's good. I mean, it, that's the way it, you know, that's the way it works, right? It's just the quantification part, even it's it's a tough thing. Is it the maximum probable event or the worst case scenario? Or even the worst case scenario, like you were saying there, you almost never see it. But yeah. It's hard sometimes. Yeah, working with like mobile equipment, it's like how long can we push it out? I know. I used to work at tech in the mobile. Like I was doing all haul trucks, and that was like, right? Like you're just you're just trying to push and you're trying to make it happen and. <laughs> I just started there four months ago. Oh yeah. Lots of lots of equipment to look at. And it breaks a lot, but it's fun because it drives around. You see, when you get into the fixed plant stuff, it's boring. It doesn't move. Yeah, so far so good. Nice, nice area of the country, though. Mm -hmm. yeah. I used to work at uh, in Sparwood, but I had been out to Highland Valley Copper, so I've been in that kind of like you guys are a little bit past that. But, yeah. yeah. All right, so there was some good discussion. Now, who wants to volunteer to win a coffee mug? Oh, see, now it goes quiet. <laughs> or I'm going to have to pick on somebody. Dave, I know where you sit. So un unfortunately, I ran out of my own coffee mug. So that one's a, a coffee mug I got from uh, a friend of the podcast, Upkeep. So you can have that now share with us. What did your table come up with? How does how do projects get approved? What are we talking about? One of them was uh, risk reduction. So looking at the uh, the benefit that you're getting from it on a risk basis. Yeah. So you know, it could be uh, on health and safety. It can be on environmental, regulatory. All of those might be a factor or production, that kind of thing. Right. That's, that's exactly, I mean, that's what I've seen over my career, not only at Enbridge, but everywhere else, right, is we're looking at all like it's a holistic thing right like if we're only talking about production risk well like a fire alarm does that have any production risk zero pretty much right now in terms of health and safety it's it could be pretty big like let's say we were in a, like in a coal plant where i used to work if the fire alarm doesn't work you have the potential for dust coal dust and then it, you're in real bad shape right so it's important to do that now one of the other you guys at the second table there, you were talking about, you know, some of the challenges, like how do you quantify that? 
And that's kind of the big thing, right? Is you have to, like, it's easy to say, yeah, we approve risk. And it's nice to say, like, we want to quantify because we want to quantify it, right? So then we know, hey, well, if this risk is 100,000 and we can spend 50,000 to mitigate it by half, then, like, our return is, you know, it's one, right? Now, if we could spend 10,000 and take our risk to zero, then our return is 10 to one, right? So when we're approving a project, 10 to one, we're gonna probably put that higher than the one to one. So now I want a second volunteer. Does anyone have $20 cash on them? I'm saying cash, a $20 bill. Yes, here we go, perfect. I, see, I like this now. We're having some fun today. All righty. So, oh, sorry, what was your name? Wasim. Wasim. So, Wasim volunteered his $20 cash. First paid speaking gig I've had. <laughs> so, don't worry. We'll get, so, let's play a game. So, do you, so we're going to play a game. I, I brought a loony because I'm, you know, I'm not making the big bucks yet. Um, so, if we're going to play this game, what, if we flip the coin, it's a, it's a real loony. There's no, there's no tricks here. But if we flip the coin, Wasim, you're going to give me your $20 bill, and I'm going to go home. $20 richer. Now, if it's tails, you get your $20 back. Does that sound like a fun game to you? For 20, yeah, not more. <laughs> <laughs> I should have asked for 100 So it sounds, it sounds like a bad deal. Like Wasim's clearly getting the short end of the stick. Um, now, for me, it's a, it's a great deal, right? It's a great deal because I'm making money. Now, this is the type of math that really is, is how you define risk. It's also the type of math that casinos use, poker players use, people who, who do well in the stock market use. It's all these types of things. And really what it is, it's the risk. You can change this expected value to expected risk. It's really the same thing. It's the sum of the probability times the outcome of all potential events, right? So that was the one thing. Sorry, what was your name? Amin. So that was one thing that Amin mentioned was, hey, should we be doing it on the most often occurrence on the worst occurrence, like how, how do we do it? The answer is really, you should do it on it all. Now, in terms of practicality sense, like when you have 2,000 assets to calculate every possible scenario, that's a little bit, like that's a lot of work. And the payback is probably not that big. That's why in criticality, they typically spend, you know, they take either the highest occurrence or the most often occurring. It just depends on who you talk to. Now, for the coin flipping example, it's pretty easy. 50% of the time, I win, or Wasim loses, and then 50% of the time, he wins nothing. <laughs> and so, I win. Um, and now, to kind of continue this a little bit further, one of the things I've seen over my career is people have a, a big problem with this number, 
Because when we flip the coin once, Wasim either loses $20 or he loses nothing. He never actually gets to this minus $10. It's not like I take the 20, I rip it in half or something, right? And that's the thing with our equipment. What I've seen over my career is there's a lot of pushback because the pump either broke or it didn't break, right? So there's got to be a lot of understanding on this and you know, like you're never going to get to the long run. So question for you, right? So we're talking about an equipment failure. So let's say instead of it being a coin flip, it's a pump. And if the coin lands heads, the pump failed. If the coin lands tails, your pump didn't fail. Now, how much money would you spend to mitigate that failure? Show of hands for, would you spend $8? So nobody would spend $8. Yeah, so to get, essentially to get out of playing this game, how much money would you spend? So would you spend eight bucks? Absolutely, you would, right? Because you're making two dollars on that, well, two dollars in the long run, right? Would you spend nine dollars? Well, you gain a dollar. Yeah, so you would. Would you spend ten dollars? You might. Like, what happens if Wasim needs that twenty bucks? or needs $10 to take an Uber home, and he doesn't have Bitcoin, um, right? Like, he might need that $10, so he's willing to spend the $10 to mitigate the potential chance of losing 20. Would you spend 11? You might. Again, right? There's some companies in this room that would spend $11 to, to mitigate that risk. It depends on your risk tolerance as an organization, right? And so your answer defines who you are. Do people in this room like to ride roller coasters? Few people? Yeah. Who doesn't, right? So there's a few that aren't, right? So people who are risk averse, not that I didn't look up at the stats. I should have done that, but I didn't look at the... The, the stats of roller coasters, but probably if you don't like, you're, you're probably a risk-averse person if you don't like roller coasters. And you might be a risk-loving or risk-seeking person if you do like roller coasters, right? And that's what that is. So if you're a risk-neutral person, you're willing to spend up to 10 bucks. If you're risk-loving, maybe you're only willing to spend eight or seven or six or five, it depends. And if you're risk averse, you may spend 12, you may spend 15. So we talked a little bit about this, right? So how projects get approved, we, we talked about risk. Now the next question I got from my third cup is, is your company risk averse Risk neutral or risk loving? Discuss.
question should be, do they, are they, or do, where do they think they are versus where are they actually? That's a good one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, there is like a difference. The decisions that get made behind the scenes or without understanding this put them in a very risky category. Yeah. They think they're risk adverse, but in my mind, their decisions are high risk. <laughs> yeah. There, there definitely is a, usually a disconnect between the two. Perception and reality. Kind of like a field guy who decides to save 20 grand by not putting a new heat exchanger by the lid, but he just made a huge risk on the production through that entire plant. Yeah. <laughs> by popping to, like plugging tubes instead of replacing the bundle. Yep. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a really great example of that. Yeah, because they don't realize it, right? Well, they're not. They, they're yeah. trying hard to save their t dollars for their small plant, but they don't realize all the production that's coming through there mm -hmm. and the impact on the company. Yep. Do you want me to give you a five-minute warning or something before it's done? Well, we'll have lots of time. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I think the other way around with us, they would think there is. If I, I'm able to convince them, they would take it. Compared to most organizations, we, we take risks. We have to. So the designers are for example, I talked about that screen project that I did. The company used to own the They would have PhD students studying for five years before they were raised in the show. We had been studying it on and off for a couple of years. We decided to do it and build the app once and finish it most of the time. I mean, the level of study put into it compared to what other companies would have done was much less. So there's risk on projects that got succeeded and didn't. cut through commodity. Market, declining a lot. <laughs> you know, you have to take this. That's the name of the game. <laughs> That's the name of the game. <laughs> what do we got for time? Alrighty, so. Who, who wants to share? Do I have to pick somebody again? Uh, I can share. All right. For us, um, it depends on, I guess, what the equipment is. 
We're uh, we're phasing away from coal over the next few years, converting our plants to gas. So when it comes to um, safety safety aspects, we're risk averse. But when it comes to things like our bottom ash grinders, which are going to be obsolete in a few years, we're more risk loving, I guess, because it makes more sense, right? Well, we'd rather take the chance that it fails versus spending the capital and it could be wasted, so. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's a, like a distinction to make, right, is the consequence, maybe it's not necessarily risk averse or risk loving, it's just the consequence of the natural gas generators or that equipment failing is gonna be a lot higher than the consequence of the coal stuff failing, right? Now, Susan actually brought up a great point which was sometimes you're accepting risk that you don't know about, right? And so you want to share the example that you used? Um, when you're in like a lot of natural gas plants, people are trying hard to save cash. So this is great. So they choose to plug a few leaky tubes in a bundle instead of spending 20 grand on a new bundle. But may not, and that may be fine for that small site, but if you don't take a bigger look, you may be limiting production through your entire plant by that decision to save the 20 grand and only spend 5,000 in plug tubes, you have now set yourself up for a higher risk. There's likelihood that other tubes are gonna fail. You could have um, not be able to get your throughput when you're expecting it. So you may be setting yourself up for a much bigger risk than you realize by saving that uh, $15,000 difference. Or, what's it going to affect? Yeah, but the local plant and the local decision doesn't necessarily have the big picture, right? They don't know about the penalty clauses for not processing that gas. They don't understand the, um, the implications on a con contractual side, and they may not have thought through the big picture of how much that downtime is worth uh, for plugging tubes versus swapping a bundle. I guess sometimes the other problem is the risk cannot always be financially quantified. So for example, if something goes bad, how much is it going to cost our public image? You couldn't um, quantify that? Yeah. But it depends on the situation. So putting a dollar value there can be tricky. It, it's, yes, it's, it's absolutely tricky, but it can be done. So I used to work as an economist, actually, when I was a co-op student in my first career. And we spent a lot of time doing cost-benefit analysis, large infrastructure projects. And one of them, actually, my final project I worked on was a cost-benefit analysis for, they wanted to justify building a psychiatric hospital instead of a prison. And so we were trying to quantify what's the benefit to society that someone's mom would be in a hospital getting treatment versus her being in jail. That's a pretty abstract thing to quantify, right? But it can, that's probably more abstract than you know, a public, public uh, reputation hit for maybe you, your site killed somebody or you leaked something or you did, you know, those types of things, right? It can be done now whether the numbers are spot on accurate Probably not, but you're trying to get in that ballpark so then you can set it in the same line, like you can measure apples to apples as you're trying to compare projects. 
Because when Jason's looking at a project, he's looking at, hey, you know, can I spend $100 million to, to mitigate this or 50000 or whatever it is? It's got to hit that ROI threshold or the internal rate of return or the risk, whatever they're using as their metric. They have to really, it's got to hit that, right? So, how much time do we got left? 10 minutes. Perfect. We got 10 minutes. So, the last one, we'll, we'll spend a couple minutes on it. And I want you guys to discuss with your table for the last mug is what's your facility's greatest risk? Now, have you, the first question is sort of have you evaluated it already a little bit? Now, criticality is not exactly risk, but most of us in reliability will have done this before, and you'll find stuff on there that may be surprising to you. One I've done before, some of the highest risks at, uh, at the mine I was working at was, it was, one was the fire truck and the other one was the water truck. Because if you can't wet the roads, you can't drive the equipment. That's kind of an interesting one, right? It popped out. Now, next one, do you do condition monitoring? Do you kind of understand the condition of your assets? That's going to inform the probability of failure. Are there potential safety issues, environmental issues? And are there, getting back to that earlier slide, are there projects with potential upside? So discuss. <laughs> This is why you end up with things. You're helping to figure out how to make those decisions and what data to so the CA is the criticality analysis portion of it. So it just adds criticality in an FMEA. It depends. So just a pure FMEA doesn't actually talk about criticality really, right? It's just like, this is the failure mode. This is what happens. That's pretty much it, right? The criticality just takes another level in there. It depends what you what you're going for. So Correct. So the the criticality, you're not redoing criticality in an FMCA or in a FAMICA. You're just like taking the criticality that you've already done and putting it in. Yeah. So like you, most likely you've done a criticality. Right, and you have that number in in Maximo or SAP or wherever, and it's like a one to five. Well, you're just plugging that in there. That's pretty much it. Definitely helps with prioritizing, really seeing. So what we did, really think like, really helps with Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, and they basically can transport them. Okay, the same way. So we were able to kill you some more. Take the one minus the other, but it's still like Yeah. And we were real. So let's let's wrap it. Let's wrap it here, and then we'll get you guys out of here maybe five minutes early. Who wants to Who wants to volunteer for the final mug? Who wants to share what their facility's greatest risk is? Anybody? You're pointing them out. <laughs> I guess you guys don't drink coffee much or something. What's going on? I got lots of mugs. Someone's going to get voluntold now. So Jason, we've been picking on you for a while. So let's hear it. Um, so our plant, we live and die by our power rate. So we don't have a conventional power rate. We buy the last most expensive dollar that utility gives to us. So if our, especially the, the pulp mill that consumes all the power is not available, then we can't manage our rate. So what it very often looks like is that when the price goes down at night, we have to run the pulp mill like yep. flat out. But if we have one of our refining lines unavailable, then that detracts from our ability to manage the rate to the lowest amount. So our biggest risk is availability of the refiners in the pulp. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great example. Now, do you have you quantified what that? You don't have to share it, but have you quantified it? What that would look like, or like how often you're not able to run full steam, or that type of thing? Uh, we we do measure uh, availability. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's kind of tough. Like if you're going to quantify that as a risk, because otherwise, like what's your other option? Is like buy generators and run it yourself? That's not an option. Yeah, just run your own power plant. <laughs> like 225 megawatts when everything's running, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you're, you're pretty much out of options. So quantifying, it's not really going to help you too much. But, but yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? Like you have to really think about your facility in a thoughtful way to kind of pick up on these things. Now, the last concept I just want to touch on before we're done here is is this, right? We often, when we're evaluating a decision, it's, well, should I go right or should I go left? Because I have to go. But what if we don't do anything? I'm not going to give you an answer for that, but I want you to just think about the next time you're trying to make a decision, right? Is what's the risk if we don't do anything at all? It's not an insignificant risk, right? Like Kodak invented the digital camera. They didn't go for it. What was the risk that they did nothing at all? Well, where's Kodak now? Right? So there is risk to that. So it's just something to think about next time you're making a decision is it's not necessarily just one or the other. 
There's also a what if we just stay put. That's it. Thank you. We have time for one or two more questions. If anyone's got anything pressing for Rob, and if not, he'll be here tomorrow that you can catch him at the coffee breaks and things. Or you can find me on LinkedIn or robsreliability.com. Yeah, anyone who's in the Edmonton area, Rob's been organizing Edmonton maintenance and reliability meetups once a month at different uh, restaurants in town for just uh, networking sessions. Yes. Yes. It's called Rob's Reliability Project. You can find it on 11 different platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get your platform. I'll give you my card and you can, you can find it. Or you can email me also and I'll send you the link for it. Thank Rob for engaging us. It's really hard to do the last talk of the day right before everybody's getting ready to go for dinner. So it's nice to have engaging and I think we all learn from each other today. So thanks very much for Thank you. Uh, getting our minds thinking about risk and how we quantify it. Um, and we will see you shortly. The buses start leaving at 5 and 5.15. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, we'll see you. <laughs>